Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. Halloween has become one of the biggest single-day holidays of the year. Amid other joyous festive fall celebrations like Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Diwali and Christmas, Halloween is a chance to get spooky, scary and maybe a little weird. Just as kids enjoy dressing up in costumes and going trick-or-treating, adults get into the spirit of Halloween too, trying to outdo their neighbours with over-the-top decorations and heading to haunted houses and other spooky attractions. And buying candy. Lots and lots of candy. Overall, Americans are on track to spend more than ever on Halloween this year, $12.2 billion according to the National Retail Federation. On this episode of Florida Matters, we'll talk about the business of Halloween and how it got so big with marketing instructor Carol Osborne and journalist and author Kristen Hare. But first, in some places the scares are not all make-believe. WUSF Steve Newborn takes us to the Tampa Theatre where some believe the veil is lifted between this world and what possibly lies beyond. There's no getting around it. This place is creepy, seriously creepy. Walk into the door of the Tampa Theater and the bright sunlight fades away into a chilly dimness and the present fades into the past just as quickly. Victoria-era lights cast an eerie glow. Statues and figurines poke their way out of the gloom. It's easy to let your imagination run a little wild here. If you see something, hear something, smell something, feel something that shouldn't be there, please tell me. That's how Jill Watecki starts the ghost tour, which has been going on for decades here. She's vice president of marketing for the 98-year-old movie house, built before movies learned to talk. The mighty Wurlitzer organ that rises from beneath the stage to score silent movies attests to that. There are many stories of unexplained apparitions here, but Watecki points out that only one person actually died here, Robert Lanier, back in 1959. While walking away from his ticket kiosk that fateful day, something hit him in the head right there in the lobby. Now these are the original tiles from 1926. So you are standing right where Robert was found, in an expanding pool of blood. Several people immediately looked at their feet. No one's really sure how Robert left this earth, but some believe he never left this building, as did Joe the janitor and Paul the manager and the trickster down in the basement. But few apparitions have actually been seen. One is the woman in white. Her specter has been seen sweeping through the upper hallway. During one tour a few years ago, one woman said her young daughter saw something. When mom turned around, she didn't see anything. The little girl had seen a woman in a long white dress standing on the stairs at the back of the hallway, and she thought it was a real person. Wateke said the latest theory about the woman in white came after a sleuth tracked down a Tampa Tribune article from 1925. It said a woman had been struck by a streetcar on Franklin Street, right outside where the theater would open a year and a half later. This place didn't exist when she died. 
The theater's most well-known apparition is Foster Finley, more commonly known as Fink. For 35 years, he worked alone, high above the balcony in the projection room. After he passed away, not here, by the way, Witeki said his spirit may have wandered back. Even a current projectionist has had problems getting into the projection booth. Rattled that handle, tugged on it with all her strength, couldn't get the door open. To the point that she finally called her boss and said, I don't know what to do, I can't get the door open. I think the door's locked. And he said, Caitlin, there's no lock on that door. Want to hear more? Well, take the tour. That's what Chris Kluver of St. Petersburg did. He wore a black Screamageddon t-shirt and said this was his very first ghost tour. I think more people kind of want to believe in stuff than they might let on. People want to believe that there's more after you die. That our energy kind of lives on and carries on to something else. I asked Derek Gates of Clearwater if he believes in the paranormal. I'm a see-it-to-believe-it kind of guy, so not 100%, but I believe there, you know, there's something out there. There's got to be some truth to it, so I've had a couple personal kind of creepy experiences, so you got to yeah, believe a little bit. Back inside the main theater, Wateki said since she works here and doesn't want the hair on the back of her neck standing up all the time, she's reached what she calls an agreement. Us, the ghosts, and I. I will tell their stories faithfully, I will do my best to honor their memory, and they leave me alone. And maybe, just maybe, she said, if you find yourself in the Tampa Theater late one night, they will leave you alone, too. Steve Newborn, WUSF 89.7 News. We invited you to share your thoughts on Halloween. Some of you told us you enjoy the camaraderie, cooler weather and candy, Others aren't so fond of the increased traffic it brings to some neighborhoods or the commercialism. So let's dig into how this holiday has grown into a multi-billion dollar monster. What makes people want to give themselves a scare and how residents across the greater Tampa Bay region can celebrate the spooky season. We're joined by Kristen Hare, journalist and author of 100 Things to Do in Tampa Bay Before You Die. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And Carol Osborne, director of the Zimmerman Advertising Program at the University of South Florida. Carol, thank you. Hi, Matt. Carol, I want to start with you. The National Retail Federation says spending on Halloween in the United States this year is expected to reach a record $12.2 billion. That's $108.24 per person. That's an increase of more than $8 since 2022. So how does this compare to other holidays, say Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, Christmas? Well, everyone's leveraging getting to be scary for one time of the year. The rest of the holidays are happy. So even though we do say happy Halloween, there's not so much of it that's happy. There's a lot of it that we can read into it and be kind of dark and scary. And that's a lot more fun because we have joy before and we have joy after in all our other holidays. So it's an opportunity to let loose. Yeah, exactly. We're black. Some of our Florida Matters listeners told us they love Halloween, others not so much. Here's a comment from Ryan Ray of Tallahassee who wrote, I love the moments of camaraderie and relief that come along with the cooler weather. In Florida, when Halloween comes around, the sense of possibility and wonder is heightened by shifting physical expectations as we navigate a cooler, more civil season. On the other hand, Stephen Cornell of Bradenton told us, I dislike that it seemingly becomes a holiday about death and carnage when it was meant to be an inclusive memorial 
with spiritual overtones. So, Carol, let's get into that a bit. I mean, what, what makes Halloween different from the other holidays? Well, yeah, it did start that way, right? It went backwards because it was November 1, All Saints Day, and then it kind of backed up. And the UK, still, I think they still celebrate Guy Fawkes Day, so mm. that kind of morphed into it. And then I think what I see from a business perspective is the whole autumn theme merged together with the birth of the pumpkin spice latte. And so the pumpkin, in that case, the pumpkin flavors kind of merged with the the pumpkin, a.k.a. jack-o'-lantern. But it seems like that trend has kind of really morphed into everything. I mean, I've seen pumpkin-flavored gouda and goat cheese. But Mm. I think a lot of it goes back to, you know, just it's something that's a little dark and dangerous and people can be scary. I would think many, many decades ago it was a children's holiday, and now it seems it's full-bore adults. Where do you stand on pumpkin spice latte? Not my thing, but I appreciate that people like cinnamon, cloves, and nutmeg. Yeah. If you kind of think back to the economics of it all, though, I mean, people are spending a lot of money around Halloween. Is this kind of a preview or an opening to the start of the official holiday shopping season, which is the end of November. Sometimes I think you can blame that almost on, you know, Tim Burton with his movie whenever that was 1993. Yeah, a long time ago. Mm. It was really why I saw those two holidays pushed together, right? The Nightmare Before Christmas. And I Mm -hmm. thought, okay, what's going on here? And then it just seemed to connect all together. There wasn't all of a sudden this break of a few weeks. So it has all morphed together. But I do think before everyone starts becoming joyous and happy, in the December and and January winter seasons that this is a chance to be a little off and dark and get weird. So Catherine Cullen, a vice president at the National Retail Federation, says the biggest change when it comes to Halloween is the number of people actually participating. Let's take a little bit of a listen to some sound here. The big headline is that more people are celebrating Halloween than we have ever seen. Nearly three quarters of U.S. adults say that they expect to celebrate the holiday. That is up from just under 70 percent last year. But if we look before the pandemic, when before lockdowns and all of that happened, just 68 percent of U.S. adults were celebrating. So we've really seen an increase in the holidays popularity. And that is what's driving spending this year. Carol, what do you think of that? Is it something of a, I know it's it's been a while since the lockdown at the start of the pandemic, but are people still kind of catching up from that? Yeah, I look at a lot of those consumer trends and consumer behavior, and it does really seem to tend to be driven more by adults than children, whereas the traditional children going trick-or-treating and going house to house, that it seems to have changed so much that it's maybe not as safe. So they corral the children at a party or at a shopping mall. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, when you start looking at all the products that are out there, there's pumpkin ales and pumpkin beers and pumpkin booze. These are adult foods more so than they are children's foods. So it's really interesting how it is spread to a completely different market. Let's talk about decorations from our random sampling of yards in the past few weeks. It appears that skeletons of any size are all the rage. The national spending on stuff to decorate in and outside could reach $3.9 billion, and the Retail Federation expects 77% of Americans to buy something. So just break down that fascination for us with you. 
It is quite incredible. And, you know, what, again, what's driving it, it's always that chance to be a little bit different and be a little bit different than your neighbor. And so, again, traditionally, over all those years of hanging the holiday lights or the Christmas lights and Christmas decorations, as it's all morphed into what was traditionally a pagan holiday, but it doesn't have to be religious. And so anyone can celebrate Halloween. Mm -hmm. But yeah, neighbors outdo neighbors. It seemed that it used to be more handmade decorations around the house. There's a neighbor of mine that must easily have 10 skeletons, and they're much taller than the average man. Yeah, that's something I've noticed, too. I mean, I don't know where you store this stuff when you're not Halloweening. (laughs) There's also candy, too, right? Another $3.6 billion nationwide expected to be spent here. Estimates are up a lot. And, And here's what Claudia, a listener from Tampa, had to say about Halloween candy. Love the decor and candies. Hate not sticking with my diet because of candies. Carol, are you surprised by this spending given the constant talk of inflation and people worrying about covering everyday costs. Well, it, yeah, it is very surprising. You know, again, when you look at trends and, and healthy eating trends, but, you know, again, maybe that's that one, that's the time we go off our diet and we're bad because this is the holiday to be bad, to be a bad consumer, be a bad person, but, um, and do something kind of frivolous. Just thinking about how long Halloween season last when you're talking about some of these theme parks and the effort that goes into that. I mean, one complaint we hear perennially is how early holiday gear is going up in retail. I guess this is not just Halloween, it's any kind of holiday. And Halloween is everywhere by early September. I think I started seeing some of those stores kind of popping up in empty storefronts even earlier than that, probably end of August. Carol, is that by demand? I mean, retail is just trying to cash in on consumer interest. Well, of course, consumer interest. The the longer we can stretch it out, the more weeks it's available to the consumer. But in the sense that rather than have it sitting in a warehouse waiting for October 1, why don't we just go ahead and put it out September 15th and put a sales sign on it and let it start going. There's demand there. There's demand that people do want it earlier because they're planning it all out. Speaking of Halloween costumes, here's a comment from Mary Jane Toro of Clearwater. This year, she says she will be the latest version of Wednesday Adams in her school uniform. My name is Mary Jane Toro, and I live in Clearwater, Florida. Halloween to me isn't just a holiday. It's a -a once-in-a-year opportunity to escape from the mundane, the routine, the boring and unappealing aspects of life and delve into the magic that lives in my head. Just as some people experience joy to the point of tears, as I walk outside and see the Halloween decorations that pop up every night, I am moved and reminded that there is still creativity and imagination wrapped up in fear, scary things, and expectations. Like when you play hide and seek and you know they won't find you, which makes you the winner. If I could live in Halloween Town, I would dressed up in whatever facet of my personality I wanted to enhance that day. Perhaps a pirate, a voodoo queen, a mad hatter, a dragon slayer. Fantasy versus reality is a choice, and I choose to plan for Halloween the day after Halloween. It gives my life purpose and flight as I take off into the night. By the way, my favorite costume of all times was being Captain Jack Sparrow. All right, that's Lister Mary Jane Toro on Halloween. Thanks for weighing in on that, Mary Jane. You're listening to Florida Matters. We're talking about the business of Halloween with Carol Osborne and Kristen Hare. When we come back, from kid-friendly trick-or-treat events to terrifying scares, 
We'll talk more about how the Tampa Bay region celebrates the spooky season. Welcome back to Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. We're talking about the business of Halloween and how the holiday has grown to scary proportions with Americans spending billions on candy, costumes and spooky experiences. Let's get back to the conversation with Kristen Hare, journalist and author of the book 100 Things to Do in Tampa Bay Before You Die, and Carol Osborne, director of the Zimmerman Advertising Program at the University of South Florida. A lot of money has been spent on participating in an event, and Kristen, I want to bring you into this conversation. When it comes to things to do for Halloween, it really does run the gambit from terrifying immersive experiences to kid-friendly pumpkin patches. On the scary side of things, what's out there for folks in the greater Tampa Bay region? Oh, there's so many things. Hollow Scream at Bush Gardens in Tampa is one that I've made multiple trips to this year with my teen and my tween. Ghost tours, they happen year round, but this is a great time to do it. I highly recommend the one in Eber City, the Haunted Woods at Hillsborough River State Park. And I do have a theory about why Halloween is what it is, especially here in Florida. Can I mm-hmm. share it with you? Please. I think it's because there are a lot of us like myself who aren't native Floridians. I'm from Missouri. And so fall is an interesting time for a lot of us who grew up with cooler temperatures and falling leaves. And today is another day where we'll be sweating instead in October. And Mm. so we don't have those markers of the change of season. And so Halloween itself becomes a touchstone for fall. We're just leading into the best six months of living in Florida. And it's something that people really get excited about. But I think for me, there's Halloween and then there's Florida Halloween, which is sweaty. And we're doing our best to over-decorate and to overindulge because it is how we know that the seasons are changing somewhere, not here, but it's about to cool down. So give us an idea of some of the things to do that are kid-friendly. There's so many good ones. You can throw a pumpkin and find a pumpkin patch. They're everywhere. Obviously, pumpkin patches now are all about social media, right? Whether it's teens and millennials and Gen Z's going or families, but really about the moment where you can get that photo and you can go anywhere for that. But I really like the places that are farms and have mazes. So Hunsader Farms in Bradenton is a good one. Corky's Corn Maze at Keel Farms in Plant City is a good one. Again, get out of the city, try something different. You can't go wrong with a trip to Hogwarts at Universal Studios this time of year. For me, it feels like a Christmas thing to do, but it's certainly a great thing to do around Halloween. And then if you're really looking to have a little more history fun, if you have some older people, go to the cemeteries. I love Oaklawn in downtown Tampa. There's fantastic histories there. There's pirates and politicians, and you can learn so much about where we are. Just go during the day. Don't go at night. Long-time Tampa Bay residents may remember this voice. <laughs> this is Dr. Paul Barra. You know, things are kind of dead around your house on Saturday afternoons. <laughs> Why don't you join us on a Creature Feature in the Tenement Castle for a couple of horrible old movies like this one. <laughs> so that's, of course, Dr. Paul Barra. His Saturday Creature Feature was a popular horror film staple that ran on local station WTOG from 1973 to 1995, Bearer was actually Winterhaven resident and radio man Dick Bennick. According to the 1995 story in St. Petersburg Times, the raspy-voiced Undertaker character thrived on horrorific puns and was a staple of local events and parades throughout the Tampa Bay region. One of our listeners, Leon, wrote in to tell us about what draws him to Halloween. He writes, I have always been fascinated by things that scare people, and as a side effect of that, I'm constantly drawn to horror movies and haunted house attractions. 
that adrenaline rush you get from a scare actor or an unforgettable scene in an iconic horror film is something that can't quite be replicated by much else. I'm drawn to stories about things that go bump in the night and heroes in those stories who display the courage to take that night back. As annoying as sequels can be, horror movie sequels remind us that evil does not die, it merely lies in wait. And Leon shared some of his favourites, including A Nightmare on Elm Street, Sleepy Hollow, Paranormal Activity, Alien, or any of the original Universal monster films such as Frankenstein, Wolfman, and Dracula. Well, here's an observation from Michael Carlin of Palm Harbour about Halloween. It is our best holiday. We are the most kind to each other. Candies, pennies for UNICEF, jokes and pranks, etc. If anyone knocked on your door needing something, most will call 911, whether it being... New Year's, Easter Memorial Day, July 4th, Labor Day, or Thanksgiving. And here's what Bridget Killebrew of Land Lakes thinks about Halloween. I love how much my kids love it. I hate how fast cars still drive through the neighborhood. So trick-or-treating used to be about kids walking around their local neighborhoods. Now you'll see trunk or treats in parking lots, candy being handed out in stores. Carol, why do you think this is? I think it's the safety factor as things have changed over time. I think people my age always think that we were this tougher generation. My husband has stories where he would trick-or-treat. He grew up near the University of Virginia, and he'd go to the frat houses, and he said he remembers he'd leave there without candy in his bag but chicken bones because the brothers would answer the door chomping on fried chicken. I go, and then they threw the bones into your bag. Yeah. So I think any child came home with that today, the parents would be completely freaked out. So I I do. I think it's a safety factor, and it got to the point where as population grows, we get more sinister beings, and it just wasn't safe anymore to know that your kid was 15 miles from home crossing a highway, which I remember many of us doing that. Kristen, what about trunk or treats? What's out there for folks who maybe don't want to traipse around their neighborhood, they're worried about chicken bones or other unwanted things ending up in their kids' candy pumpkins. What's available? Basically everything from things at churches to schools. I know the high school, you know, where my son goes has a trick-or-treat street coming up. And so you have lots of options. I think of those kinds of things not as alternates, but as supplemental. I think it's a way for people to get together. Um, They don't often happen on Halloween night Mm -hmm. in my neighborhood. And this is another Florida Halloween thing. It's a party. All the adults are sitting outside. If it's cold enough, there's a fire. There's never a fire. They're passing out water bottles to kids. They're passing out trulies to the adults. People are out visiting. It's a block party in a way that I think in a lot of other places where there is cold weather, you can't do that. I have a neighbor who sets up a tent and grills hot dogs online, passes them out to people. Mm -hmm. So it's a neat way to connect with your neighbors. But there are certainly lots of alternatives. Malls have things. Churches have things. Any public space, libraries, they all have lots of different options for you to choose from. And it's easy to find. And best of all, people watch, right? See what people's costumes are this year. Um, That's my favorite thing about Halloween is just it's different every year. I wanted to ask you both, too. I mean, what what do you think of the contrast of sweet kid-centered events versus the frightfully spooky side of the holiday. Both of you kind of alluded to this, but Carol, what do you make of that sort of blend of adult and kid-themed entertainment? I think it may be not so scary as we think it is. We see the promos for some of these events. They do look awful scary, but I think every child knows that it's being orchestrated on their behalf. Most of it is kind of that jump scare that, of course, they all talk about now when you get texts from anyone under 18 that they use that little phrase. So, yeah, those things jumping out at you. But you have to tell yourself, I know it's not real. It's not real, Mm -hmm. which I think children know that or they're instructed about that to begin with. But, you know, it's like going back to saying 
Mickey's not so scary Halloween and the older kids say the college age they want it scary so it works Kirsten what do you think yeah there's a spectrum and I think that's what makes Halloween so popular because you think about Christmas there are traditions in Christmas you're going to age out of right So what's exciting about Halloween is it can be everything from carving pumpkins and going door to door and being a cute little witch or wizard to being terrified at something like hollow scream or getting together with your friends at a drive-in and watching a terrifying movie. It's a holiday that will grow with you. And one of the things that I'm fascinated with as a mom of a teen and tween is the role that social media plays. And I think it's one of the reasons we've seen the explosion of decorations because people can share what they're doing and get inspired by each other. The other thing I think is so exciting about Halloween is unlike all of the other holidays we have, Halloween is different every year because it's so much of it has to do with pop culture. Mm -hmm. So I was reading a story this morning about how many Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift costumes we should expect to see this year. There are people whose costumes are memes or it's off of whatever's happening in the political moment. And you're going to engage with that depending on your age, right? In a really different way. And then there's classics. My yard right now is decorated with Beetlejuice stuff. I've got the sandworm and the, the headstone and the ghost dressed up as ghosts. And I'm quite delighted by it as a Gen Xer. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just one of those things that you can sort of pick and choose every year how you want to engage with it and how scary you want it to be. And it kind of follows you through the spectrum of your life. Kristen, what are your favorite Halloween memories or best costumes from your time? My best costume ever was I was probably 12 and my mom took a cardboard box This is pre-Amazon days. Our garages weren't full of them. Mm -hmm. And she painted it and made me into a dye. And I had, you know, black tights on and a top hat. I think we went to the mall to do some trick-or-treating the day before, and I couldn't even get in the car because I was a giant (laughs) box. So I love that. The other thing I've loved living in different places is seeing how regional holidays are celebrated differently. So I grew up in Missouri, but I didn't live in St. Louis until my son was born. And in St. Louis, you have to tell a joke. When you ring on the doorbell, the people with the candy want to hear your joke. And so you go door to door and have to tell a joke. I didn't have to do that in Springfield, Missouri. That was a thing that I thought was so neat. It taught my kid how to talk confidently and how to deliver a joke. We don't do that here. I know some other places do. And so I think also just getting to know a place and there's no guy down the street with hot dogs in Missouri because it's too cold by that time of year. We get to have a block party. They get to have their jokes. Everybody celebrates it a little differently. And it says a little bit something about where we live. Carol, what's your favorite Halloween memory? Definitely. I'm a transplant to Tampa. It's definitely Guavaween. I really wish that would come back. I was in my 20s when I first visited Tampa, and it was just a spectacle. You could just stand in Ebor, which was very small at the time. And there was a woman who called herself Mama Guava, and she would clomp down the street. And she had a huge wig that was covered with, I think, cockroaches and all sorts of gnarly things. But the costumes were superb. And they were freaky, and they were all homemade. But you just would watch just the craziest looking things go. And the poor people who thought they could drive through it with the top down on their car, and it would be carnage to the whatever was happening to their car people you know Mm -hmm. pouring beers inside of it but it was reckless and there were no rules and it was really a lot of fun I miss that I wish we could bring that back any favorite costumes from your childhood I always liked more 
contemporary things where you had to be there and know what was going on. And I was dressed in a tennis dress because I already had one and tennis shoes, which I had. And then my sister put a knife in my back because I was Monica Sellis, who at the time had been stabbed while she was playing. (laughs) You had to know the story and be there. That's dark. Well, we've been speaking with Carol Osborne. She is uh, director of the Zimmerman Advertising Program at USF. Carol, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. And Kristen here, journalist and author of 100 Things to Do in Tampa Bay Before You Die. Kristen, thank you. Thanks so much. Happy Halloween. Same to you. And that's our show for this week. Find us on social media. Look for Florida Matters. Special thanks to Lottie Watts from the National Retail Federation and their podcast, Retail Gets Real. Our producer is Steve Newborn, production assistance from Mary Shedden. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening. And join us again next week. They'll be lurking for you. (laughs) 